Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Denver to speak with Matt Moore of Locked On Nuggets about how Denver has resurrected their season after Jamal Murray's injury. We go to Atlanta to speak with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks about the injuries in Atlanta and how they are pushing for their first playoff berth in many years. And lastly, we go to Boston to speak with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about the up and down form from Boston and whether they can get it all figured out before the playoffs. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. All right, we got a lot to talk about today, so let's get to it. Now, let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Matt Moore is here with me to talk about the team that, Matt, is the hottest in the NBA. Somehow, they are 9-1 and one over their last 10 games, and that's without Jamal Murray. That's without Will Barton, but they are still rolling along. Um, now, the obvious answer to the question of how they're doing it is the big guy in the middle. But is there any other reason of how they've been able to not, not resurrect their season, but keep it rolling and actually improve on where they were from uh, prior to those injuries? Yeah, I think when you look at it, there's probably two reasons that you can kind of zero in on. One is the ascendance of Michael Porter Jr., who was on a hot streak really the month before the Aaron Gordon trade, uh, has continued after the Aaron Gordon trade and has stepped up even more with Jamal Murray out. He's comfortable taking more shots, and he's doing it really efficiently. This is the big key is when you look at, at Porter's numbers, don't just zero in on the scoring and the rebounds. Pay attention to how efficient he has been both from the field and three-point range. I mean, the kids' efficiency is absolutely through the roof. The other thing you have to look at is the defense. Uh, this has not been a good defensive team. They're not going, their key identity is not going to be a good defensive team, but um, they've had to adjust that way. And their bench has been absolutely lights out. Paul Millsap has something like a 75 defensive efficiency over his last 10 games. Uh, much of that without Murray. You've got um P.J. Dozier has stepped in and played great. Austin Rivers off the street. He and Shaq Harrison together have played absolutely magnificently defensively this season uh, in this little stretch of games. And if you have Jokic and Porter holding up the offense with how efficient the entire offense is with them on the floor, and then you have these bench units locking down on defense, it's been a good formula for them to get wins. The Porter one's really interesting because this is a guy that's he's a forty four percent career three point shooter, and I don't think that everyone would would understand that or, or realize that. And he's actually shooting at a, at a better clip now. I think he's at like fifty percent over the last two weeks, but he just doesn't miss from out there really. When you consider it, we we talk about elite three point shooters and and guys, you know, Steph Curry's name will come up and Clay Thompson and those sort of guys, but we don't really consider Porter in that area, but he's at 44% this season on seven three-point attempts per 36 minutes. So it's not gigantic volume. It's not 10 per 36 like we see Curry doing, but it's still pretty handy. And the fact that when he gets the ball, you just feel like it's going in is just added that extra level to the to the Nuggets and their offense. Um, let's go to the other the other key part, I guess, of this is, is Nikola Jokic. Of course, he is you know, driving so much of this. Is there any doubt in your mind, Matt, that he is the NBA's MVP? No. And, and as far as who should win, I've been there for about probably a month now, just based off of the overall season performance. 
And then the only question I have is whether he would win, given that I think that there is reticence among some voters. I pay a lot of attention to the various voting blocks that make up the MVP award. Um, you look at it and, and you think, okay, there's beat writers and then there's analysts like Zach Lowe. There's national TV personalities like Rachel Nichols. You've got former players and broadcasters. They're all kind of have their own approach on it. I think the beat writers are going to be very heavily in Jokic's favor. I think the analysts are going to be very heavily in Jokic's favor. I think the former players have, have shown that they're pretty heavily in his favor. Reggie Miller has talked him up considerably as an example. And so it really just comes down to, I think, the national pundits, who I, I do think have had a little bit of resistance because they don't want to get tabbed with making the wrong pick. Um, there's a lot of, re of reluctance about the Russell Westbrook decision a couple of years ago. Um, one of the arguments has been, like, are you going to regret picking Jokic over other players when you look back on it because of some sort of idea of the conceptual greatness of Jokic, but he's played so well. He's playoff bona fide. Um, he's played in every game. He's lifted the team up. And now the Nuggets are actually right there tied or slightly ahead of, depending on when you listen to this, with the Philadelphia 76ers. And so you can't really make the argument for Embiid on the winning purposes either, just because the West is tougher. So uh, Jokic is going to win MVP. The betting odds reflect that. Sentiment reflects that. And most importantly, I think, Yes, people in the league who a lot of the beat writers and analysts will rely on. Um, one executive, I asked this about a month ago. I was like, hey, who do you think is the MVP? And he said, who, wait, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And he said, why are you guys trying to make this into a thing? It's Jokic. It's been Jokic. We all know it's Jokic. Everyone knows it's Jokic, except for the media. Why are you guys trying to keep trying to make this a thing? Look what the guy's done. And so I think that that sentiment will trickle down and, and Jokic will be selected the MVP. Yeah, I think he almost has to be. Look, we heard arguments. Say when Embiid went down with that knee injury six weeks ago, whatever it was, oh, look at the Nuggets record. You know, we, It's so hard to give it to you. If he's so good, why are they the seventh seed or the sixth seed, wherever they were at that point? But again, as you said, look, that argument doesn't hold water. They are sitting or two and a half games back from the Suns at the time of uh, us recording this in the three seed. They've just jumped ahead of the Clippers with that win in the last game and they're yeah, flying at the moment. So, you know, availability, yeah, that's the, the check. The individual stats are there. The impact metrics are there. And now the team record's there. It is, it is, it'd take a pretty big, I don't know, logical leap to be able to remove yourself from voting for him uh, at this point. And uh, that's obviously awesome for, for the Nuggets. Now, there's been some criticism, not criticism, skepticism with Denver. I guess here, Matt, it'll be the last last question we go through here about you know they're playing well. Jokic's putting up big numbers, but without Jamal Murray, do they have an extra gear? What do they do in the playoffs now? Um, is this level of play that we're seeing now? Do you look at it and go, well, okay, in the playoffs that's great, but can they can they push it further, or is this like we're playing well now, but when it when it comes down to it, if we have to take on the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs, where does Denver sit there? Yeah, I think the seeding is going to be important. Uh, there's a whole bunch of scenarios on how this works out. If they face Dallas, I do think they get out of the first round. I think they got a pretty good chance in the second round. I think Utah is definitely looking at them and, and probably a little bit wary after what happened last year. This Jazz team is much better than last season, and the Nuggets are not as good without Murray. But Jokic just manages to break Rudy Gobert's defensive scheme so much that that's a problem. Same thing with the Suns, I think. I think the Suns have a lot of issues with them. But if the Nuggets were to face the Lakers, you have to have Jamal Murray because you're going to have games where nothing is going right, everything is super physical, and you need Murray to be able to step up and just hit tough shots without him. Even with how Porter's played, I don't know that they have enough. Uh, they'll be underdogs in almost any series that they play outside of the first round and maybe in the first round as well. I will say this, though. Don't expect the Nuggets to, to roll over. I'm not saying that as somebody that covers the team. I'm telling you objectively, after covering this league of 12 years, 
this team thrives under conditions of adversity like very few teams I've ever seen. Do not overlook the Nuggets. You can beat them, but you have to take them seriously and you have to keep the pedal down or they will absolutely take you to the shed. Yeah, we, we saw that in the playoffs last year, the amount of you know, comebacks that they had. And even now, like faced with that adversity, oh, season's over, what are they going to do? Murray's out. Like, no, they'll just win nine out of the next 10. And you know, we, we see that continuing and players step up. And um, yeah, you have players who are playing your key roles, like Paul Millsap, you mentioned, who now just can come off the bench and just do his thing in, in limited minutes while Aaron Gordon fills that, that spot in the starting lineup. So while you lose that depth at guard, like adding Aaron Gordon is, I think, yeah, people look at that and go, well, they're, they're without Murray, but you add that extra piece in, which would have been great to have them both there, of course. But having uh, Aaron Gordon in there to just solidify that defense and let those other players do their thing has been massive for this team. Matt, they can uh, everyone can hear your thoughts on the Nuggets over on Locked On Nuggets throughout the week and heading into the playoffs. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime for you, man. Take care. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster and only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately and in Indeed skills test that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from only, or not, you can choose from more than 130 skills tests and then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. So get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's talk to the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast. Brad Rowland is here with me. Brad, let's start off with a question, which I'm sure is vexing a lot of people. Where's DeAndre Hunter? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> honestly, it's a weird situation because they he's, he, he came back and played twice. He's missed 44 of the last 46 games. So it's been out for a long time. He played twice, pretty much right in the middle of those two things. And there's been some comments from Travis Schlank and some vague indications that he might be getting close and then every time he gets close there's something to push him back and this time Nate McMillan on Saturday before their game kind of gave a pretty pessimistic not overly so but it was one of those eyebrow raising moments where it seemed like he was not close again and they haven't said anything different about that but at this point it's a giant question mark yeah it is now when he came back I was pretty surprised slash critical that he seemed to come back extraordinarily early after knee surgery now, I'm not saying that those two things, the fact that he came back for two games and then has been out for another you know, month and a half after that are related, but I, I think that it has to be at least questioned that the fact that he was having this breakout year, had the knee injury, it seemed like he was rushed back, it, it seemed way too early, and now you know, we've had obviously something going wrong now. How much of an impact is that for the Hawks? Because again, he was playing like their second best player earlier in the season. I don't know how, well, maybe that's accurate or not behind Trey Young because Capella hadn't quite found his groove. John Collins was off. He was playing like at a really most improved player level of, of play. And how does that hurt the Hawks if he cannot come back this year? It's huge. I mean, I don't want to go over, I don't want to go crazy about it, but it was 17 games before he got injured, 17 full games. And he was playing incredibly well. And if that guy exists, if that guy is real and if they can rely on him, it raises their ceiling a ton. He's the only guy on the roster that does what he does. And that is 
intriguing, especially in a playoff setting. A guy who's six eight, a two way guy, can create his own shot, play defense. No weaknesses, really, like no huge ones anyway. So, you know, that raised their ceiling. And the entire season since then, like the last back half of the season, I've been saying, you know, if DeAndre Hunter comes back and all these like caveats. And now we're at the point where they have seven games left as we talk and we don't know if he's coming back. And that is interesting because they've made it work. They've actually played quite well for the last few months without him. But I think everyone agrees that their ultimate ceiling, both for this year and the future, is tied to DeAndre Hunter and how good he actually is and him actually being available. So it's big. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like they're losing Troy Young and they'd be relentless without him, but it's a big loss, especially in a playoff setting when you figure that a guy like that, a 6'8", two-way forward, is kind of what everybody wants and not having that guy is big. Yeah, it is. And the Hawks aren't, you know, they're not particularly rolling at the moment. They've, they won their last game against the Bulls, but three straight losses prior to that, including a, a absolute stinker against the Pistons. And they're five and five over their last 10, which out of the top seven seeds in the East is the worst of the, of the last 10 records that are out there, albeit by one game. But still, it's not ideal. They currently sit in the fifth seed a game behind the Knicks. Do you think that they, in terms of playing the seeding game, are there any concerns about where they sit? Are they you're desperately trying to stay in that five six so they can avoid you know, Brooklyn or Philadelphia up top? Um, how do they how do they think they go against the Bucks if they fall fall to the six spot? Is it just like we need to actually fight here and keep in the five slot? I think their identity under McMillan, who is known for this even before he got to Atlanta, is just kind of fight every game and not really take games off and um, grind and be that kind of you know effort driven team and it's worked i mean mcmillan's had a great record in atlanta so far as he's taken over and i think they're trying to do that all the way to the end here and the schedule is pretty favorable for them too coming into this stretch like everyone talked about this including me but the end of the set the end of the season schedule for the hawks has been pretty soft um the last seven of the last eight were at, are at home the last four are very easy on paper so that's a that's a big factor and i think in the standings number one goal is avoid the play-in I think this team being guaranteed an actual playoff series would be big because they're still growing. No one is under the assumption they're going to win the title this year. So getting in and actually having a full playoff series to compete would be big. And I think a secondary goal, but if, if they're in the four or five, they can win. And I think they, they believe that um, obviously if you're, if you're dropped down to six, seven, eight, no one's going to pick them against the bucks or the Sixers or the nets. But if you're playing the Knicks or even if you're playing the Celtics or the heat, I think the Hawks are kind of a live I'm not even sure they're an underdog against the Knicks, but a live dog in any of those series. I'm not going to necessarily pick them, but if you're in that four or five, a lot can go right for you to make at least get one series. And it may not sound like a lot, but if you want a playoff series with this team on the way up, it'd be pretty important, I think. Let's talk some good things because you know we've been bitten down there on the DeAndre Hunter talk and maybe slipping, but let's talk about a guy who came across in the, uh, in the offseason. I thought he struggled a little bit to begin the season, then suffered a knee injury. But since he's returned, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been... Dominating, really, like you know, carry, carrying the team with plenty of players out when you're dealing with the absence of John Collins and DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and Chris Dunn and Tony Snell, a whole bunch of wings out. And then Trey Young at, at times was out. And Bogdanovich has been um, look playing at a level that he hasn't really really gotten to in the NBA before. Look, how important has he been uh, to this you know, this resurgence under Nate McMillan? Um, and is anything about it unsustainable? I think... He's been incredibly important. Um, honestly, going back to Hunter, Bogdanovich stepping up and being healthy as Hunter was out was enormous because they needed a number two creator on the perimeter, and Bogdanovich has been that. He's averaging 17 points a game since he came back from the injury. That's 29 games. He's been hyper-efficient. And if you want to find one thing that's probably a little bit unsustainable is they shooting 43% from three in that run, and that's a little bit high. Um, even the last couple of games, he's kind of had some regression 
he actually led the East in threes in April, like by a lot. He was like pretty much scalding hot for the entire month. And he's a really good shooter, but he's not, he's not quite that level of a shooter. So it's going to come down a little bit, but him as a secondary creator, as a guy who's big and physical and get in the mid range, he fits in with McMillan as well, because Nate McMillan is not the most modern in terms of like shot profile stuff. He's not a dunks and layups and threes guy. He's willing to use the mid range. And I think Bogdanovich kind of encapsulates that. So he's been huge. He's playing the best basketball of his career and the Hawks have needed it pretty badly. And they kind of still do as this playoff run approaches. We haven't even spoken about Trey Young yet, who came back from a grade two ankle sprain in a week somehow. So this, there's something either a bit weird there. And now I've said this on my podcast, he's either Wolverine or the grade two ankle sprain was probably a mis mischaracterization of the injury. Has he looked um, off at all since returning? Honestly, no. I mean, I'm kind of with you. Trey does have an, a rep for recovering quickly. I think he consistently beats timetables. So I don't know about the grade two thing either. Uh, for what it's worth, that was reported by Woj and not announced by the team. Now the team doesn't really announce specifics all, all that much on the injury front. But if it was grade two, it was obviously quite a fast um, re return for him. But since he came back, he's actually been even more efficient than normal. He's been 52% from the floor in the first game, 64% in the second game. Um, averaging 32 points a game in those two games. Like he looks physically himself as well. So honestly, if you assume the ankle is healthy and it looks to be just fine, it might've even been like a blessing in disguise for Trey to have like a week plus off at this point in the season, because it's been, it's been such a grind for everybody and his workload's so huge that he looks kind of fresh. Like he was, he was probably the fastest guy like flying around the court on a back-to-back -back on Saturday night. So maybe it's a good thing, all things considered, now that he's healthy. So we'll see. He's playing He's playing great again, and of course the Hawks need him badly. Well, congratulations, Brad, to you and to Hawks fans for at least getting themselves into the play, and it's going to take a bit of a collapse for them to not guarantee themselves a a, uh, a spot in the regular playoffs, I would say. But yeah, good luck with it all, and people want to hear about the Hawks' push to uh, maintain a pretty solid seeding in the East. They can hear you over on Locked on Hawks. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. My pleasure. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all of that action at Bet Online. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline are your online sportsbook experts. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. No longer do you have to suffer through eating protein bars that taste like cement. Built Bar tastes just like a candy bar covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew and the flavors are amazing. And they're also great if you're a health conscious person who's looking to lose or maintain weight because these bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And they're great if you're on a keto diet. The Cookies and Cream Bar has 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. So go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Now we have the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast, John Corrales is here. The Celtics... The up-and-down nature of their season continued on Sunday, John, as they go down at home to the Portland Trailblazers, but that's probably not the whole story there because right at the end of the game, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, smash into each other. Jalen Brown let out a rather large expletive, rather loud expletive at the end of the game, uh, hobbled off the court. Tatum seems like he's okay, but I think we have to be a little bit worried here about Jalen Brown, who came into this game nursing an ankle problem to begin with. Yeah, and it was the same ankle. It was the right ankle, so... 
that that was not good. That that entire ending from the Tristan Thompson offensive goaltending that shouldn't have been called all the way to that play was about as disastrous an ending to what was a great game as you can get. And now there is concern because they have an important stretch coming up here. And the, every game here is basically a must win. This loss, even though it was understandable, I mean, Portland played great, but they're going to need Jalen Brown to, to finish off this season. They've got a big series coming up against Miami. They've got a, a game against the, the Knicks. And right now the Celtics are in seventh. They want to avoid that playing tournament. So losing Jalen Brown for any stretch of, of time now would be very, very difficult. Yeah, look, you mentioned that the the playing tournament, and I don't think people would, without looking at the standings, they just think, oh, the Celtics, they're fine. They're top four, top five seed, but they're not. Like, they are down here in the seven. They are half a game behind the Heat at the time of recording. They're probably, you know, the two games ahead of Charlotte, who's in the eight, and they're probably not in too much danger of slipping further than that, but they do not want to be in that in that seven spot because not only do you have to then face the playing, but then you have to take on Brooklyn or Philadelphia up the top end of the uh, of the standings, which is not ideal for a team that's been yeah up and down for, for big chunks of this season. Um, Boston now 5-5 five and five in their last 10. What's the latest on Kemba Walker, who has missed the last week or so with a side injury or whatever they're, whatever they're calling it, oblique strain? Yeah. Like, where, where, where's he at? Because, of course, he you know, had the slow start to the season. He's missed back-to-backs all year. Looked like he was going all right, and now we're dealing with a separate injury. Yeah. Uh, it just never ends. The, the, it's an oblique. It it happened very weirdly against uh, Charlotte where he was closing out against Terry Rozier and he just kind of stopped and he felt something. And he's been listed as doubtful for the past couple of games. So he, he wasn't necessarily out, but they never expected him to play. But at least that's a sign that he can maybe be close before the game, Brad Stevens said that he, you know, Kemba's going to try to go. And there's some hope that at some point this week that Kemba will be able to return. So it's not serious, but it is something that it's not something that's going to bring him back. Uh, he might miss the Orlando game. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a more of a nagging thing than anything serious. Let's talk a little bit more positively then. And I know it's hard when you've got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum collapsing in a big heap at the end of a game and Kemba Walker's out. And yeah. We've had Rob Williams miss the last couple of weeks with a knee problem. Now he's back. But I think the positive we look at here from the Celtics is the recent player first-round draft pick Aaron Neesmith, who you know had a go in the rotation earlier in the season, disappeared entirely. And now the last three games, I think he's playing at a really high level. He seems to have taken Romeo Langford's minutes. He's stepping up in situations where Kemba is out. So do you think this has made someone like Neesmith, who's shown defensive chops and offensive chops in these uh, like three or four games stretch here? Is he someone who can be a part of the rotation and maybe even get playoff minutes? I mean, it's trending that way. His shooting over the past three games has been amazing. I mean, you can go back even further than that, but the volume, six, 6 of 12 against Charlotte, 7 of 9 from 3 against the Spurs, 6 of, uh, I'm sorry, 7 of 9 overall uh, against the Spurs, 6 of 7 against Portland here in this game, and a perfect 4 from 4 from 3 against the Blazers. That's exactly what the Celtics were hoping for from Neesmith. And I think the speed of the game caught him by surprise early on, and he was so up and down. And what what he's done now is matched some of the crazy intensity that he brings to the game. He is all over the place 
and and at least two three times a game falls in a manner that makes me think like oh my god is he going to be okay but he's he's bringing that intensity with more actual kind of like defensive acumen he's not just throwing himself out there he's actually making plays he's reading things a lot better he had a, a great three pointer against portland where uh, it's a play that they've run for him before and he just made this little adjustment to sidestep a defender off of a pick it, it gave him uh, a great look and he hit the shot obviously and and it's one of those little tiny things that someone who is seeing the game better does and and that's the most encouraging thing so the Celtics are going to need someone of his size to give them playoff minutes that's versatile defensively that can switch and that can stay in front of a guy and who can hit a shot if he's open. And Langford was maybe going to be that guy, and he still could be that guy in certain situations, but Neesmith has suddenly grabbed that ring, and, and he's really holding on to it. If he can continue this and shoot, I mean, I don't expect him to shoot 80% like he has been, but if he can just shoot at a decent clip and defend the way he's been defending, then yeah, playoff, playoff minutes suddenly become a realistic possibility. Last question for you here, John. It's actually a two-part question, so I'm going to I'm going to sneak this one in. Um, Ivan Fournier. Now, oh, if you ever get a chance, can you ask him? I know there's the anglicized version of his name calling him Evan, but he's he's French, so I call him Ivan because I have heard it mentioned. Now, I'd like to know whether he prefers that or not. But anyway, that's beside the point. We heard some disturbing, um, not disturbing revelations from uh, Fournier today after the game, talking about yeah. the effects of COVID, saying that you know. That he can't see at times with the lights in his eyes. It's like he's had a concussion. He looked much better today because he'd been, let's be honest, pretty poor in those games since returning for COVID, understandably so, when he's talking about that. So you know, do you want to just dive into a little bit more detail of the things that he said in that post-game presser about, uh, about the symptoms that he was suffering? Yeah, it was very revealing uh, because we had heard that he was, quote-unquote, foggy after the... Um, after coming back from COVID. Um, and he's, he said that, look, this is, this is something that he didn't want to talk about at first, but yeah, he did compare it to it being uh, kind of like a concussion. He said that the depth perception is really bad right now, which in the beginning of uh, the Spurs game, he was throwing passes. Like he, he threw a pocket pass to Robert Williams that went off his shin. And, and so him saying that my depth perception is really bad, and he had to go to a specialist because he has trouble keeping his eyes focused. I mean, that's, that's bad. Um, he, he's, he didn't want to make this as an excuse, but he really is struggling with that return from COVID. And, and he's a tough guy, and he's going to be out there. He said, if my, my body's available, I have to be available. But you really have to question putting him out there in that situation not only because it hurts the team and all of that stuff, but he could hurt himself and this could hurt his confidence. And luckily he had a, a great shooting night in this, but the symptoms that he's been experiencing are really, really troubling. And it really does not make the league look good when you, you hear a guy talk about this. And, and Jason Tatum was another guy who's had long-term uh, impact from COVID. You hear these guys talk about this, and it's just kind of brutal to think that the NBA put these guys in this situation. Evan Fournier still dealing with this, and who knows how long it's, it's going to be. Uh, he's, a, he's a warrior for trying to, to get through it, but 
he, he shouldn't have to be. It sounded really bad. Let's hope that he's able to get uh, that recovery and get back to being 100% himself after this. And it is going to be very intriguing for the Celtics to see how they cope with this Jalen and Jason and Kemba injuries and Fournier's recovery and whether they do end up in that playoff play-in situation. John, you'll have it for us all on Locked On Celtics. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. My pleasure. Anytime, my man. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Locked On NBA Pods. You can also find me at RedRock underscore Beeble. And follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.